This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Witt Taylor, the legendary quarterback of that 1982 team, as we keep the throwbacks coming. He gave us an inside look at the transition from Fred Pancoast to George McIntyre and his belief in Coach Lee after speaking with him in private. We also recap Dansby Swanson's unbelievable weekend against the Nationals and a pair of decommits from Coach Lee's 2022 recruiting class. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Let's ride. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. Welcome back into the Door Report. It is episode 99 on August 16th, 2021. On a Monday evening here in Nashville, Tennessee, we are powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. If you ever need a hardwood flooring job done at your home, give them a call. Gary Scales always uh, hooks us up with the read there on our, on our advertisement. Well, We've got some news to discuss today, and we've got a big guest on the podcast. How about Whit Taylor, the legendary Vanderbilt quarterback from that 1982 team? He played uh, on West End from 78 to 82. We'll talk uh, to him about his career at Vanderbilt and, and uh, speaking with Coach Lee and what he learned from him and, and uh, whether or not he's bought in. So I think Commodore fans will love that. But, Will, we've got a little bit more to talk about. Dansby Swanson is hot. A couple decommitments from the class. But football is 19 days away, Will. I, I can't believe it. I, I can't believe we're almost there. Day nine of fall camp tonight, um, and we got the door jam coming up. Things are heating up. Yeah, I think Vanderbilt baseball helped us out quite a bit with the uh, dog days of summer and that oh, extended yeah. run they made, even though they fell just a little bit short there of that national championship run. Because, because man, 19 days, it's out, It's honestly kind of snuck up on me. I think, Billy, I'm getting old. Summer, summer's <laughs> going by a lot quicker. I don't get a summer break anymore, so it's gone by a lot quicker, and I'm definitely looking forward to week one against ETSU as it's uh, quickly approaching. It's almost here. ETSU, 19 days away. We will, of course, preview that game and uh, much more leading up to this season. Uh, but, well, we've got a little bit to get into here with the breaking news, of course, with Whit Taylor joining. Before we get to that breaking news, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, go give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. It's now time for breaking news. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, well, we start with a little bit of baseball. How about the former Vandy boy, Dansby Swanson? He is absolutely destroying the baseball. He had quite the weekend in Washington, D.C., in the nation's capital. He homered in three straight games against the Nationals. He hit four total home runs. 
He hit two on Saturday, and for Vanderbilt fans who have been keeping up with him, they have uh, they've been pretty happy. The Braves fans are also happy. They swept the Nats, and they now take sole possession of, of first place. But, Will, I mean, what he's been doing this past weekend, I think, has shut up a lot of the haters. I've heard a lot of, oh, he's overrated. Alex Bregman is better. You know, he, he thinks he's some kind of power hitter. Well, Dansby Swanson single-handedly silenced every single one of his haters. Not that he even has that many, uh, but there, I heard some rumblings out there about uh, a little bit of Dansby Swanson hate, and you could say he was the reason the Braves swept the Nats. I mean, six RBIs on Saturday. He had nine total RBIs in the weekend, and Will, to a lot of people, this isn't, isn't a surprise, but he's been struggling this season a little bit offensively. He He's always been good defensively, but I mean, how about the weekend he had? I don't know how much you watch, but man, he was he was on fire. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you, Billy. Uh, if you're talking about MLB baseball and it's not deep into the postseason or the World Series, I wasn't watching this weekend. So um, I watch exclusively Vanderbilt Commodore College baseball. I'm the worst kind of baseball <laughs> fan that exists on the planet. I'm the kind of football fan we and basketball a, we, fan we that I hate. Into a so. baseball guy. I know. I, I'm a Vanderbilt guy and a Vandy Boys guy, but overall as a baseball guy. I did watch the highlights this weekend, and man, uh, Dansby had struggled starting out with the bat. I keep up with the stats of Vandy guys, and I'll there watch them. So I'm not completely ignorant to what's going on, so don't take it as that. But uh, the leather is always there, and that was the thing with Dansby going in, is if he can turn it around, he has some pop in the bat. He's a little bit streaky at the plate, mm-hmm. but the leather is always there, and it's been there since he got to the majors, and it seems like a little bit like he's starting to get it, get the swing back there and starting to hit the major league pitching he's starting to find it and and this is big for the Braves more than find it he's he's been he's there he's been been he well I think his average tells you a lot about how much he struggled he's still only hitting 263 but he had been down around 240 250 this is this is the new MLB Billy Um, everything everything I know this is the this is the swing for a homer and miss and the averages are down and home runs are up so pitching just um, dominates right in yep yeah he he is fitting right in and he's you know, he's sitting 263, 24 bombs, 70 RBIs, and he's making he, – he's into the record books now at shortstop in Atlanta. You know, there mm-hmm. haven't been a ton of good shortstops in Atlanta. You have guys like Rafael for call, Chipper Jones early in his career, but Chipper moved over to third base. And, and the way Dansby's playing now, you can already argue he's the best shortstop in Braves history. And, and you know, being a Braves guy, that's, that's just – it's crazy how you got a Vandy player now dominating for Atlanta. So, it's all also obviously been big. Well, Brian Reynolds has been – tearing up the baseball too he's got a chance to win gold glove out in center field so it's always cool to keep up with those vanny boys but man Dansby Swanson has just been tearing the cover off the baseball and uh, it's gonna be fun to see uh, what he's able to do here throughout this this season and well with these with this many vanny boys you would think you'd see more from from some other guys but it's kind of been somewhat of a quiet year you still got David Price you got Walker Bueller dominating but guys like Reynolds and Dansby are kind of carrying the load offensively. Yeah, and I do think a little bit of the shine on what Dansby has done this season and lately has been overshadowed by just kind of a deflating feeling from Braves fans when Acuna went down with the injury. (laughs) And I, and you know, I I can relate to that. I'm not an Atlanta Braves fan, but man, when you see your superstar guy and without a doubt, Acuna is a young superstar in the MLB and probably the biggest draw on that team. Um, And him going down, I feel like you're like looking at Dansby's hitting line now and what he did over the weekend and Braves fans are sitting there thinking that's great. The Braves are playing well, but But what could have been? 
what yeah. could have been. And that's always <laughs> the most sickening feeling as a sports fan is the feeling of what could have been and if only. Yeah, if, if only Acuna was still healthy, Braves would be in a prime spot right now. But, hey, we'll see what they're able to do. And, and with Dansby Swanson hot, he's, uh, he, he's carrying the load right now, and uh, the Braves are in first. So uh, we will keep you guys updated mm. on that. Well, enough with the baseball. We talk enough Vandy boys during the season. Uh, we got a couple decommitments for the football team, the class of 2022. Now, before we get into these guys, you know, seeing two de- decommitments is never a good thing, Will. But these two two guys committed early, if, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, these guys were, were early commits. They're a couple of three stars on the defensive side of the ball, and that class is defensive heavy. You have guys like Linus Zunk, BJ Diakite already there. You have Darren Agu already there. And those guys seem to be at the top echelon of that class. And now I think what you're seeing is you're seeing these guys like Gates and Williams take a look at the class and say, hey, I may not be able to play as much as I thought at the beginning. And my my thinking is here, Will, that Coach Lee had talked with them, you know, whether that's Coach Lee or their position recruiter or Barton Simmons, and they didn't necessarily like what they had to say. I, I think that's where this is headed. Yeah, I don't know if this was a communication with staff. I'm not going to speculate on that. And the one thing is human nature can tell you that these guys were early commits in the class. Likely they were sold on this rebuild of the Vanderbilt program Mm -hmm. opportunity for early playing time. They're not idiots. They're they're about to be adults and they're making the biggest decision at this point in their lives. And they're looking around and saying we were early commits in this class to go you know, I'm not trying to hate on Vanderbilt, but at this point, a lower echelon power five program. Mm -hmm. And they were probably sold on that playing time. They've seen the commitments from Agu, from Diakite. I I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I was nervous about saying it on there. So look at that. (laughs) And they're probably looking at 24 seven and looking at some of the rumors that we've seen as far as Daniel Martin coming in on that defensive end is another four-star guy alongside Agu. And then you have Diakite, high three-star, low four-star guys. So they're probably saying, this is going to be tough to see the field. I don't know if there's communication with staff and saying, I'm just going to open up my options, probably committed a little too early. I'm kind right. of shocked you don't see this more often um, from these early committed guys because, man, there's, there, there's a lot of things that happen within that class that they're not privy to. And mm-hmm. it's nothing against the coaching staff. It's just the setup of recruiting and the competitive nature of the beast. So right, right. I'm, I don't think it's a concern of more things to come. I don't think there's issues within the program. I think it's just something of them being recruited over the staff probably still wanted them there on campus, but there's only so many snaps on that field at every right. position. And those guys probably made a calculated business decision. Yeah. And they're smart. You know, the, nowadays these players are smart. They're not idiots. They know what they're getting themselves into. And if you commit to Vandy, you're a smart kid. You know, you, you, you commit to Vandy for a reason. And, and, you know, it's not like you've, you've had Langston Patterson decommit or Darren Agu or, you know, any of these big time players Dorian Gates and Alex Williams were not necessarily household names in this class. And, you know, I'm not trying to diss these guys and I'm not saying coach Lee didn't want them like you just said, but who knows what could have happened. And, 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 you know, recruiting is, it can be a, can be an evil game. You know, that's, that's the nature of, of college athletics. It's not necessarily intended that they didn't want them, but it happens. And, and uh, you know, we'll have to see what, what, where these guys go. I think if they, if, if they were to commit to a school like Florida or Florida state or, or somewhere, you know, at least a step up from Vanderbilt, that may be a concern, but 
I doubt you'll see that. And, and, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this, this kind of played out. I don't know if we're going to know, you know, exactly figure out how it played out, but um, it happened two decommits and, and uh, that class, they'll be fine. You know, they'll, they'll be, they'll be totally fine. And um, you know, coach Lee is, is, is I, I trust in him. I think a lot of people trust in him also. Well, will they, um, Vanderbilt football is in day nine tonight. They, uh, they obviously have been practicing at night. I'm sure a lot of the players like that. 19 days away. We are Chris Pierce days away. And he's actually, I, I think he's, I think he's still wearing 19 this year. So he is stuck with, um, with that number, but will the big scrimmage was Saturday fans were not uh, permitted to, uh, to go. I know we were talking that up about going, but uh, realized the day before they were not opening that up. So that was a shame, yeah. but media, <laughs> me, media was still able to go. And once again, credit to Robbie Weinstein. He, he had us with the updates and uh, I think instantly you realize that the defense is dominating. You know, I think, I think that has been, that has been a story and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, I don't think at, th- at this point, there were a lot. There's there's been a lot of expectations for this offense. So I don't know what you think, Will, but I don't think it's a bad thing that the defense has been dominating. So it's not a bad thing or a good thing from my perspective. And okay. you know, you might have a different perspective than me. The offense is clearly coming back with more experience and higher expectations, specifically with that uh, wide receiver trio quad that they've got with Will Shepard emerging now. Bunch they have experience animals. coming back at tight end, Bresnahan, Schoenwald. Um, they have an offensive line that could perform better than last year with experience coming back. Ken Seals, the presumed starter coming back, Ramon Davis transferring in. I mean, you've got a lot of talent on that offensive side of the ball, and the defense is a load of question marks. Mm-hmm. But at this point in the year, nine days into camp, including that fall scrimmage, the defense is expected to dominate. Uh, defense is defense. There are different schemes, different yeah. things. Defense is defense is defense. Often, that's oversimplifying it. That's not necessarily true. But compared to offense, implementing an entirely new scheme, finding out how those pieces fit within that scheme, um, it, it's probably what I expected. It's not a bad sign. What does concern me on the offensive side of the ball, we obviously were not there, but the rumors that we've heard about the center position having some trouble with those snaps, snaps yeah. is something that that I can see in my nightmares happening um, <laughs> this upcoming season. We don't need that. We uh, we definitely don't want that. And Coach Lee talked about it. He said, I mean, that's how you start a play. Like, we might need the snap uh, to be accurate. And they struggled with that last year, Will. Do you remember that? Uh, the, I mean, oh, I remember, uh, Billy. I remember. <laughs> there were a few issues with the center last season, and Coach Lee, knowing him, sp- already speaking with him, you got to believe he is going to sharpen that up. Well, there have been some good things, though. I mean, obviously, it's like you, I agree with you. It's not good. It's not bad. But I think it could be a little bit of both. I think it's good that the defense has has figured some things out. Some young guys have stepped up. Ricky Wright had a had a uh, interception. He returned it uh, for a touchdown about 15 yards out. Um, so they had the offense backed up. Ricky Wright has looked good. Um, but, Will, I think the defensive line – could be somewhat of a surprise. I don't know what you think, but Davion Davis has been praised by Coach Lee. He has seemingly stepped up as the leader of this team, and you also have guys like Anthony Orji back there, Elijah McAllister. But you got a little bit of depth there. Alex Williams, a guy from Ohio State who didn't play a lot last season, Malik Langham, who didn't play necessarily at all last season either. I think the D line could surprise some people, and I think as a whole, that defense with Jesse Minner. The, the guy who coached for the Ravens in the secondary, I think he could show some signs of good things. Now, the talent necessarily isn't all there, nor is the depth, but I think they could surprise some people. 
Yeah, you have the age-old question at Vanderbilt. Is the defensive line performing well or is the offensive line just completely under, <laughs> un, you know, completely outmatched, under-talented? That's, that's a question you ask going into every year, and that's yeah. an evaluation that you really don't know until you line up week one. And this year, you might not really know a lot after week one as well because you're lining up against an FCS opponent. ETSC, so, yeah. <clears throat> Or after last year, you can line up against an SEC opponent, against a top 20 Texas A&M team, play them down to the wire 17-12. to 12 and then proceed to go 0 and 9. So maybe we won't know anything after week yeah, one, let's but just not, we'll let's, talk we'll talk about it and evaluate. But let's but, not talk about uh, game one. Let's just let's yeah. just ignore ETSU. <laughs> but um th- from fall camp defense is dominating like we said but apparently in an article written on 24 7 by robbie weinstein robbie. um are the, i mean the guy that's just keeping us He's updated automatic. all fall camp when we can't be there and a quote um in that article go check it out on 24 7 support robbie there who's yes. providing us with some great updates from fall camp yeah. um coach lee said there's an art to playing the long game and understanding that you have a continuous evolution you're undergoing but also there has to be urgency. There has to be willingness to address the issues and to feel like every day you're making progress towards the end goal. So our urgency needed to be better. And that was kind of the message in practice and after practice, and it'll continue to be the message. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Uh, apparently there was a little bit of a letdown and, and you can kind of come to expect that coming off that false scrimmage. So right. um, I'll be looking for some more updates out of there and specifically that offense improving on what was a pretty disappointing via the reports and everything that we've heard out of the interviews right. um, performance from that side of the ball. Yeah, now we're going off all these reports and, and you know, I, I trust Robbie. I trust the guys that are there, Chris Lee. Um, but, Will, they're actually practicing during the day now. I misspoke. They, mm-hmm. um, they're practicing. It begins at 11 a.m. Um, all throughout this week. And then they will scrimmage inside Vanderbilt Stadium. And then they will go to the door report. Uh, not the door, door report. report. The door. <laughs> <laughs> they're all going to join the door report. They're going to come on the door jam. Uh, and uh, they will they will uh, interact with the fans. So uh, who knows if the scrimmage will be open, but, uh, you know, that would be nice to, to go there. But, well, I guess last thing I'd leave you with here is offensively, you know, obviously you, you hope to see them step up and, and, and step into a groove. But is that, you know, how much of a concern is that right now? Now, you know, we're, in, we're beginning week two of fall camp. We still got a couple of weeks before ETSU. But, you know, for this offense, the, the O-line is, is the key. I mean, the O-line obviously struggled at times last year. I think they're a little bit better than we might have thought. But with three guys coming back, a veteran presence, if that O-line doesn't play well and they can't figure out the snaps, this offense will be behind. And with that defense being on the field a lot more than the offense, it's hard to find success. So if they can even some of that out and see what the offense can do, especially with guys like Ken Seals, you have talent on that offense. So I guess what I'm looking at is, is saying, hey, is this offense able to step up and is some leadership able to step up? Because in that receiver room, you also need leadership. And I don't know if there's a vocal leader right now. You know, you could say Cam Johnson is, is trying to step up and Chris Pierce, but I think they need a vocal leader to, to step up in that receiver room. Yeah, I was listening to Cam Johnson speak alongside, I believe it was Ken Seals at their media, media availability after uh, one of the practices last mm-hmm. week, I think it was Friday or Thursday. And he said that was specifically something he was trying to do. He, I don't have the exact quote, can't remember it, but he was saying something along the lines of last year, he was more of a lead by example guy yeah. is what he said. Um, and this year he's trying to be more vocal. So hopefully Cam Johnson is stepping into that role, but 
I, I'm really excited to actually hit the position by position full season preview yes. leading up to week one of ETSU, but pretty much everything we're going to talk about there, whether it's quarterback, running back, tight end, receiver, it all comes down to that offensive line just as it does every year. And can they be good enough yeah. to allow either Ken Seals or Mike Wright or Jeremy Musa? But I, I'm saying that likely Ken Seals or Mike Wright probably can seals to have time to make plays to find those playmakers and can they open up just a sliver of room for Ramon Davis, Rocco Griffin and the rest of that crew um, to make plays. So it all comes down to the trenches just like it always does um, and, and we'll be sure to break that down a little more in depth leading up to week one of ETSU. Yeah and I'll say this well a quarterback's gonna be Ken Seals. But yeah, I'm going to say that as well. Like he, I don't want to say it, but it's it's. I would be in utter shock if he is not taking snap one against ETSU. Imagine trotting Mike Wright out there. Uh, that would be a really, snap. really bold move. But. <laughs> That'd be a great way to to start the season. And and Coach Lee, I mean, you got to believe, you know, he's going he's going to continue using coach speak when talking about the quarterback, but, and well, I, I think it's kind of funny how a lot of the media and, and reporters that have been there are, are looking at Mike Wright and, and hearing coach Lee, uh, you know, use that coach speak language and, and, and talk about, Hey, we got two guys coming into this job. They're competing. You know, I, I, uh, I just think it's funny. It is. It, it is. I could be wrong. The problem is, I'm... and I, we were, we were texting back and forth about this, Billy, but, I really like Mike Wright, and I don't know a Vanderbilt fan that doesn't really like Mike Wright, oh, which is no. why I'm giving him benefit. And he seems like, and he seems like an incredible guy, and he's just all about Vanderbilt. Um, but Ken Seals is the guy, and yeah. and he showed enough last year to have earned that spot, even on an 0 and 9 team. Mm -hmm. And Coach Lee, he understands optics. He is very aware of the view of Vanderbilt fans and very in touch with the fan base yeah. and trying to bring more eyes onto them, which is why I don't think his first major decision as head coach is going to be a controversial quarterback decision, no. um, assuming Ken Seals is coming to camp and not forgotten how to throw football. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that would be bad, but I, I, I agree, Will. I, I think, I mean, my <laughs> I, I love I love what Mike Wright Mike Wright brings off the field. I mean, he during the practice. I, mean, he, I would he, love to see Mike Wright in some packages, especially oh, yeah. in the red zone. Not when the drive is flowing, but maybe as a change of pace guy, like we saw yeah. a little bit last year, but a more extensive use. And I think you're in agreement with me there, Billy. Oh, I mean, total agreement. I think Mike Wright is is a good player, uh, but he's obviously not the every day, every down quarterback, and and he, he's the heartbeat you could argue of this team. I mean, some of the some of the clips we've mm -hmm. seen at practice him and Taco Wright showing energy. I mean, that that's, that's things you love to see and kind of building that culture. So that that's why Mike Wright's here. I'm not, I'm not saying he's not here to play. Um, but I think coach Lee loves him because of his energy and, and what he brings in the locker room. So uh, again, quarterback is Ken Seals. And uh, you know, I just wanted to get that out before we, uh, before we head into the interview portion, but will we've got a great interview coming up with Taylor and we have kept the 1982 train rolling. We had, uh, Jim Arnold, the punter on that team on the podcast. We had Norman Jordan, who is the color analyst in, in, in the radio booth. And now we got the quarterback, Whit Taylor. And Whit even recommended the, the tight end uh, on the team to bring him on. I'm sure we could get Chuck Scott, Caleb Scott's dad on as well. So we're going to see how much longer we can keep going with this. But this was a great interview, Will. He, he dove into some really cool things I think a lot of Vandy fans will enjoy listening to, especially talking with Coach Lee. I mean, some of that was really cool. Yeah, this interview headed in a direction I don't think me and you expected because we didn't we didn't have any inkling going in that he had no. met with Coach Lee for at all, much less as extensively as he did. So right. uh, that was some really great insight provided from him as far as 
what Coach Lee is doing to reach out to former players, reach out to guys who were invested in this program and invested success ah, successfully, there we go, there go, in the program. And it's something that I think was really lacking, whether that was from Derek Mason or James Franklin. And I think it's something that all, all Commodore fans have seen is lacking. And he seems to be tapping into that alumni involvement with things you've heard about rumors about Jordan Rogers coming out mm-hmm. and hanging out with some of the guys. So definitely great to see him bringing back guys on the staff, but also just bring back alumni to walk around the building and be there and meet yep. the current players and, and talk to them about what it means to be playing football at Vanderbilt and that success can be and will be, should be had yep. here. So it was a great interview with Whit Taylor and definitely some insight into what Coach Lee is doing on the backside that we don't even see or hear anything about. Yeah, definitely a must listen. And he even touched on the uniforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a little, uh, little early alert here. He loves them. He, uh, he, uh, he, he, loves, he loves the new uniforms, and we touch on all that and much more with Whit Taylor, former Vanderbilt quarterback from 1978 to 1982, also first-team All-SEC quarterback that season. Whit Taylor, former Vanderbilt quarterback, coming right up here on the Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Before we get into the interview with Whit Taylor, the former legendary Vanderbilt quarterback of that 1982 team, it's now time to send it over to Gary Scales for a few words in our presenting sponsor, Alaco Fine Wood Floors. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. Welcome back into the Door Report. Alongside Will Byram, I'm Billy Derrick. Welcome back into the interview portion of our podcast. And we now are honored to introduce a very special guest. His name is Whit Taylor. Probably rings a bell to many different Vanderbilt fans. Former Vanderbilt quarterback from 1978 to 1982. Of course, uh, that 1982 team, we've got three players here in the past few episodes represented, so we'll have to keep it going a little bit. Uh, Witt played high school ball at Shelbyville Central, uh, so he's a Tennessee kid, and we will dive into his season at Vanderbilt, but at the conclusion of that 1982 season, he was 228 for 406, 2,481 yards and 22 touchdowns. He was first-team All-SEC, ranks third in career total yardage at Vanderbilt behind Jake Cutler and Greg Zolman. So uh, it's an honor to have Witt on our podcast. Witt, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I want to start, before we dive into this year's team and what we got going on here with with Coach Lee, um, I want to go back to your 1978 season, the, the season that – uh, began your college football career, you had thought, I, I read, you had thought you were going to be redshirted that, that, that entire season. Now, back in the day, uh, I guess redshirts were pulled a little bit uh, sooner than, than, than nowadays because you were thrown into your first action against Auburn, an SEC team, and you weren't expected, like I said, to play at all. What was that like, realizing that, that, that game week that you're going you're gonna to have to jump in on defense against an SEC team as a freshman? Well, uh, it was a little scary. Uh, I, uh, I went to lunch one day and there was a note over the food bar that said, Whit Taylor, go see Coach Burns, who was the secondary coach. Being the third or fourth guy on the depth chart, I, I just thought he was going to go over some things that Auburn was going to do for yeah. the scout team. And 
you know, things we could do at practice. And I walked into his office and he looked me dead in the eye and he said, you're starting at free safety this week. And I said, oh, my goodness. Here we go. I hadn't, I hadn't played defense since I guess I was a freshman in high school. So uh, it, it did not go well, I will say that. <laughs> hey, well, maybe, uh, you know, maybe for that, that team that uh, sparked a little bit of uh, uh, some confidence and, and maybe leading into next season, because I know you didn't play defense, uh, but you ended up uh, obviously playing quarterback in that season. Obviously, was was not fun. Two and nine under uh, Coach Pankos, he eventually resigned and was replaced by George McIntyre. How yeah. did when Coach Mack came in? You know, a lot of I think a lot of what he did is kind of sh- shoved under the rug a little bit because um, you know under Coach Mack that that some of those teams were 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 very important in changing the culture. So how how did he go about changing that culture after you know quite frankly a, a pretty tough season that year before? Well, uh, I mean, that's exactly what he did. Uh, he was he was very uh, down to earth, easy to talk to, uh, believed in us. I think that was a big key too. Uh, even though we weren't very good the year before, he believed in us. Uh, I'll always say I think the biggest thing that Coach Mack ever did was to hire Watson Brown as the offensive coordinator. Uh, that, of course, I say that because he was my position coach. Yeah. And I, and I say that because we were running the, the, the split back veer at the time. And uh, I don't know that I would have lasted running the split back veer very long. <laughs> so actually, that, that brings up a little bit. I'm, I'm curious. You just said he was your position coach. And Watson Brown has a unique connection to me because he coached, uh, was the head coach at Tennessee Tech for a good long period of time. Uh, where I actually graduated from. So tell me a little bit about Watson and kind of what it was like playing underneath them. Well, uh, you, you, you gave the stats earlier of my senior season, and I, I guess that would be pretty pedestrian today in today's offenses. But uh, at that time in the SEC, we were doing things that no one else was doing. He, he, he just really had a knack for – uh, game plan, uh, putting us in positions. We weren't the most athletic team that, that walked out there. Uh, but again, he believed in us. I'll never forget the first meeting that he walked in when he was hired as the offensive coordinator. We were in the offensive uh, meeting room and he came to the podium and the very first thing he said was, how many of you all sitting in this room think we're gonna, we can lead the SEC in total offense? And absolutely no hands went up. <laughs> it was like, he said, we're going to do that. And, uh, wow. you know, it kind of shocked us. And uh, he, he just did a really good job of using the people that he had uh, and game planning and putting people in position to make catches. You know, we, we were throwing it 50 times a game and no, nobody was doing that in the conference at that time. Nobody. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that sounds like Watson uh, getting up there and just kind of uh, saying it, telling it how it is. I, I want to stick with with, you know, you and Watson in that season, that offense. Some of the numbers you guys put up have not even, you know, ha- have have been somewhat matched. But those numbers, I mean, you, the 1982 season, you always go back to that season as a Vanderbilt person and say, hey, let's let's get back to that. Let, let's try to do whatever we can to get back to a season like that, because, you know, Will and I, of course, weren't alive, but having played on that team and 
being the leader of that team, being the quarterback of that team, what was it like? We asked it to Norman, we asked it to, to Jim, um, and they said it was special. What, what do you have to say about being a part of, of a team like that? I, I mean, it was special, when, especially when you look back on it now. And, uh, but, but like I said, we weren't, we weren't re- a lot of real talented guys. We, we had a night we, we knew exactly what we were doing on offense. And I think that was, and it was, it was really simple. It didn't look simple, but we used multiple, multiple formations and motions and, and, and ran the same five or six plays. And, and it just made it look different. And all we did was try to figure out, are you playing man? Are you playing zone? And we had guys that were, I mean, I hate to use this term, but smart enough to to read that on the on the run on on their way out on their route. So uh, it, it was this route if it was a zone. It's this route if it's a man, and uh, they were really good at that. Norman was very good. Uh, Chuck Scott was really good. Alamo was really good. I mean, you know, those guys knew how to how to sit in zones and how to run away from man coverage. Right. And watching watching the college game now, uh, you know, it's always interesting to get your, your guys perspective on from when you played and now looking at a college game now. So as you look at um, a guy like Ken Seals, I'm not sure how much you've watched him, uh, but he's a guy that obviously has a strong arm. But we talked about this with Norman. How much of an advantage do you think to this offense is Vanderbilt offense would be for him to maybe develop a little bit of a run game and in his game? And that's that may be a tall task for a guy like him who likes to throw the ball. But for you, I mean, you know, you ran the ball some, you know, somewhat successfully too, especially in that offense. So how much of an advantage could that be for a, for a quarterback in an offense? Yeah, when I ran it, that we called that a trick play. So <laughs> we. we uh, we didn't run it very much. We ran it enough to every, every run we had, we had to play action off of it. So right. we, we were just really setting it up for something else. <laughs> and, and when, and when Arnie Goolsby, our fullback got hurt against Tulane early in the season, uh, we really were struggling trying to run the football. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that Norman had, he, he probably didn't have 20 carries the whole year, wow. but, uh, so Keith Edwards was young. He came in and he did a good job uh, running the football, doing the things that we we tried to do when we did want to run it. Yeah, we always like to draw parallels, and he's kind of Billy there is trying to draw a little bit of a parallel from that 1982 season to now. But I mean, the characteristics of what happened leading up to that team, and kind of talking to Jim, talking to Norman, and talking to you now. Um, you know, maybe we're a little optimistic, but you like to think that the culture shift is hopefully beginning to happen there on West End. Um, what kind of parallels can you draw uh, living through that and playing through that experience of a coaching change? Um, and how can you see that uh, helping a team just bring in a fresh start, fresh start, and that coach coming in and saying, I believe in you, I believe you can win coming off, especially an 0-9 season that the Commodores had last year? Uh, it, it's going to be tough until, you know, I think they, I think they believe in him and I certainly do. I got a chance to meet him and, uh, I know we'll probably talk about this later, but, uh, but it comes down to the players. They have to, ha- they have to have a belief that they can play with anybody. 
And uh, so I think we did that. We kind of built a bond uh, with our senior class. And um, the summer before the 82 season, every senior on our team stayed. I know a lot of them do that today, but they, they didn't used to do that. And uh, we stayed and worked out together and hung out together. And, and um, so th that was a bond between us. And I think the younger guys saw us, the commitment that we were willing to make to stay all summer was paying off. You piqued my interest earlier there when you said you got a chance to meet Coach Lee and you believed in him. Tell me, tell me a little there bit about is. that conversation and tell us a little bit about um, your first impressions. Well, uh, you have to reveal everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, well no, I just very, uh, very organized, uh, mm -hmm. very strong beliefs in what he believes in. Uh, he, of course, he, he, he's worked at some really good places. So uh, oh, yeah. he's been in some places where those beliefs are, are strong also. Um, the one thing that I think most about Coach Lee is, I mean, he's, he's, he's in it. I mean, he's been there. Mm -hmm. he's, he's been in the football locker room. He knows what it takes to play football at Vanderbilt. Um, again, it's going to come down to over the year. I mean, you're going to have to recruit. And that's, I mean, that's the name of the game for anybody, for Alabama, for Tennessee, for Georgia, Florida. It, it doesn't matter. You're going to have to recruit. You're going to have to find some guys that can play in this league. And, and uh, you know, I, I think he's willing to do that. I think he'll do that. I think he's getting some help from the university that uh, my opinion is, is it's overdue. Long overdue. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh so that's the right word. Yep. The support seems to be there. Uh, my biggest hope as a fan now is that others jump on board. Uh, I don't, it just, it, it just literally breaks my heart to see three fourths of our stadium in the other team's colors. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't know what the answer is to that, uh, but I just hope people will catch on and and. Uh, but again, you know, he he's. Uh, I thought the most impressive thing was, I think we called Norman called him maybe two days before Norman and Watson and I went and met with him, and. Uh, he spent two hours with us. Wow. I mean, his, wow. his, his secretary was knocking on his door and saying, <laughs> you know, you, you got this meeting and you got this meeting and he just let her knock and, uh, walked us around. Uh, we went by every assistant coach's office. Wow. He made every assistant coach come out and introduce himself and introduced us to the assistant coaches. Uh, walked down to the locker room. I didn't get to, we didn't get to see the finished product, mm. but uh, he okay. showed us the works of the, of the locker room. And uh, it's impressive. 
And then the guys that were in there working out, he made them stop. And he, he called them over and said, Hey guys, these, these guys used to play here and coach here. And, uh, they mean a lot to this program. And I just want you to introduce yourself and introduce, you know, let you know who they are. Uh, that meant a lot to me. Wow. That's the first time that's happened to me. Yeah, I, uh, I know I said don't reveal everything, but it feels like you just did right there. That's that was, awesome. That was unbelievable. Uh, I, I want to kind of stay there a little bit longer. And, you know, you you basically that's that's music to I think a lot of Vanderbilt fans here. It's mm-hmm. just, just hearing, you know, Clark Lee sitting down with with old Vanderbilt players on that 1982 team, Watson Brown coaching it. I mean, that's that's all you need to hear. But on on that topic. I think for Clark Lee, he has to change a couple of mindsets from a couple of different crowds. He's got to change the mindset of his team and he has to try to change the mindset of the fan base because I think he has lost a, a, a good bit of the fan base. And and now there's also probably a good bit that has. Yeah, that I, has, I don't know that he's lost it. He hasn't lost well, it. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, let, me, let me crack myself. Someone else <laughs> lost the fan base. Um, but, but he's, that's the challenge. So which, which, which one, I guess, you know, is, is, is easier because obviously changing a player's mindset is a challenge is also just like a fan's mindset is. I don't know if this is a simple answer or not, but to me, it's going to be easier to change the player's mindsets. You're with them every day. You're talking to them every day. You're putting things in their head every day. Um, Eventually, the bottom line is going to be, can we compete? Can we win? And when that happens is when the fans are going to come back. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it, it's a, that's the way it is today. It's, it's a, what have you done for me lately? And, yeah. uh, you know, they need to win some games. I don't, you know, I don't think anybody would be satisfied with another O or two or whatever, but you know, I, I, I just hope people don't get too excited about, you know, it's not going to be an overnight fix. Right. And I don't think he thinks that. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's the chicken and the egg there with fans. It's saying, well, you need to have a large fan base and, and to draw them in to get that excitement built and bring in better players via recruiting. But to get fans in the stands, you have to win. So which right. one comes first? How do you get there? And this Vanderbilt team and staff is they're facing similar circumstances of coming off disappointing results in recent years, but the dynamic of Nashville has changed pretty significantly since 1982. I mean, there's a lot more options for entertainment now. Yeah. On Saturday (laughs) night. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) So on top of everything else, you, you talk about the 75% coming in is, and that's sickening to see. I've been to every single game since I can remember and trust me, it's sickening in the stadium. Um, but you're competing against Broadway, competing against you have Tennessee Titans games the next day. You have other professional franchises like the Nashville Predators. Yeah, racing you also, <laughs> Yeah, you also have Nashville as a destination city. So if fans want to mark off one town they're going to go to in the SEC schedule, it's probably Nashville. It's a good place to stay over the weekend. So how do you see this staff moving forward and rebranding Vanderbilt and getting butts in those seats? Well, uh, I, I like that's, that's a tough question. I, I like the video they <laughs> sent out. I believe it was last week, the video of the new uniforms. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was just about to ask you about this. Yep. Well, oh, they're nice. <laughs> you, like, yeah. you like them? 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I, I don't want to say old school, but it's it's a classic look. Mm-hmm. Uh, very clean. I think the thing that uh, that Coach Lee said to us was he wanted to he wanted some change. Mm-hmm. He wanted you know pictures taken down in Maguga, and he wanted uh, mm-hmm. you know he, he wanted different things done, mm-hmm. and he's been able to get those done. Uh, he actually showed us those uniforms uh, way before they came wow. out. So I knew. I, got I knew. Got the, you got the inside I knew scoop. I knew. We I knew we had those a long time before. I knew it. Yeah, that's yeah. that's unbelievable. Well, I mean, yeah. we might have to I don't hire know, you to, I don't to break some news. Yeah, I don't know that there's going to be four or five helmets anymore. I think there's going to be one with a V on the side of it. <laughs> hey, I we'll, think that's just kind one of helmet would be it. nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That might be a little bit better than, um, you know, some of the four or five combinations they uh, they used to have. But um, we, this has been unbelievable. Uh, I got one more here, though. With this – with obviously, this is year one of Clark Lee. What, what in your mind, are some reasonable expectations? They have a somewhat manageable non-conference. Their toughest is probably Stanford at home. Uh, they do go to Colorado State. Um, and then towards the back end of that SEC schedule, there are seemingly some – winnable games and, and you know not saying there, there's those are games that Vanderbilt should win but those that back end of the SEC schedule have some winnable games on it so I guess for a Vanderbilt fan as they look at this schedule what what is a potential uh, win number that you could see this team a- approaching and you know what is kind of what, just overall you know what look at that schedule what what comes to mind you know I, I am so bad at predictions and <laughs> I'm going to throw a little coach speak at you because I did that for a long, long time. Uh, I want them to be one and oh. One and oh. This <laughs> I, week. I, want to know. I want them to beat East Tennessee State. I want them to look sharp. I want to see a few mistakes. I want to see excitement. I want to see them play hard. Those things will build on themselves. Uh, you know, if, you say four or five wins and everybody's like, well, that doesn't sound very good. Well, it sounds pretty good when you've been 0 and 9. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you never know when you get to four and you get to five what that momentum is, what that confidence is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's going to depend on the culture that he's built from the time he's been there until game time. So I'm excited. Uh as I've been in a long time. And uh, I truly hope that he does well. Uh, he's got my support. And uh, if he needs anything from me, I'm, I'll be willing to do it. Love it. Love it. That's uh, that's priceless right right there from Whit Taylor, the legendary Vanderbilt quarterback, obviously of that 1982 season, defeated Tennessee, went on for the, to play in the Hall of Fame Bowl as well. It was an absolute pleasure. We'll be sure to catch up with you down the road. Uh, thank you so much for, for checking in with us today. Thank you, guys, both of you. I appreciate you having me on. Well, that does it for episode 99 of The Door Report. One more episode until our milestone of 100 episodes. You'll definitely want to stay tuned for that one. We've got a huge guest planned later in the week. But big thanks to Whit Taylor, the legendary former Vanderbilt quarterback there of the 1982 team. We keep the throwback trend rolling. So glad he was able to join us. For myself, Billy Derrick, 
Will Byron, my co-host, and our guest today, Whit Taylor. You've been listening to episode 99 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors.